Do you ever find yourself confused when it comes to health and fitness? Have you been searching relentlessly on the most effective ways to achieve your fitness-related goals, only to find yourself even more frustrated? Well, we've got you covered. It's time to learn from the best, shorten your learning curve, and truly understand how to achieve your goals without spinning your wheels and wasting precious time. Welcome to the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast. Hey, welcome back to the Minimum Effective Dose podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Brett Jones, and I am here, as always, with my friend, Mike Perry. Mike, how you doing today? That Dude, is almost word it. for word. You that killed it. That is almost word for word. I you totally it. killed it. So winner, winner, Brett's chicken dinner. So this is why Brett started it today. Um, my brain is not working, and we're going to be talking about research, and I was like, dude, I got nothing. I uh, if if I could write my name with a crayon and construction paper accurately right now, I'd be doing fantastic. So Brett is in charge today. Uh, I'm just gonna I'm gonna just heckle him and uh, just say unnecessary things. I'm pretty much gonna be uh, you know either Statler or Waldorf from the Muppets, and I'm just gonna sit up in the balcony and just <laughs> just say dumb things. So, but anyways, it's good to have someone else do the intro. There's no school like the old school. People honestly, the Muppets. What's what a great show the Muppets were. People don't realize how smart and and it was good. It was good stuff, man. Ted Lasso tie in the Muppets, one of their greatest ensembles. Roy Kent. Oh yeah. <laughs> hey, now now I you know what I um, you know what I you know what I used to love listening to. Do you remember Manamana? Oh yeah. Great song. I think I think at one point I may have purchased that on iTunes. That's ridiculous. I can't believe I admitted to that. But I always thought that was one of the funniest things because when you hear it, you're like, that's kind of catchy. And then when you see the video, much better. But we're not talking about the Muppets. And uh, what are we talking about today, Jones? Well, um, you you had a recent post up about uh, you know research and uh, being. I'm I'm summarizing. I'm not uh, going verbatim, but, uh, you know, looking at uh, evidence-based versus evidence-informed, you know, um, how do you, how do you look and how do you navigate this thing called social media uh, to really try to, you know, synthesize some information? Because I'll be honest, like I've myself have gone to both Facebook and Twitter in particular, um, not so much Instagram. Um my personal feelings on social media is Instagram is where you go for awareness. Facebook is where you go to promote and sell things. And uh, Twitter is where you go to argue. And so as long as we keep those uh, social media platforms in their individual silos, everything works out pretty well. Uh, but uh, there's, you know, Chris Beardsley, uh, strength conditioning research review, I think, Um on uh, Twitter in particular, always posting current research infographics and really just trying to, you know, make the research accessible because um, I don't have time. Every now and then I will get tasked within my role as DOE for Strong First to look through the research and see what the current mindset is on X. Uh, recently, that was repetitions in reserve, RPE, uh, things of that nature. Um, I will pull pieces of research to support snippets of what I'm doing. Um, but, you know, as a 
as somebody with a master's um, in rehabilitative sciences, who's taken a little bit of research methods and, and statistical analysis, um, do not listen to me for st statistical analysis. Um, I don't know what a two-tailed t-test means. Uh, I, I can't calculate an ANOVA. I don't, I don't, please don't come to me for any sort of mathematical statistical analysis. Um, I am pretty good at looking at, uh, you know, research design methods, um, looking for holes. Um, so as somebody that has some, a smidge of background, uh, it with a little bit of research and somebody who's had to kind of learn on the fly, as I'm sure you have, have had to Mike, um, you know, if you're a young strength coach and you start hearing these terms of evidence-based evidence informed, like, how do you, how do you synthesize this information? Because honestly, you know, the strength conditioning field, fitness field is interesting in that you don't need a background in it to be part of it. Um, you can hop into something like personal training, group fitness instruction, um, strength conditioning, and really have very little background. You know, there's a lot of uh, football coaches uh, who, because of the size of the school that they're in or the program, they're responsible for the strength conditioning. They don't have a background in it. They just know what was done to them. And so that ends up what gets done to, you know, the kids. Um, so I think putting together uh, what we want to chat through today is just a little bit of navigating social media. You know, what are our opinions on evidence-based versus evidence-informed? And, you know, maybe talk about a little bit of current research just to give you an idea of how, like, I synthesize um, a topic across different pieces of research and over, over a period of time. Yeah. And, and, and before we dive in, there's one thing I, I want to sort of, um, just put out there is, um, look, we've been doing this for a long time. And, uh, you know, for those of us that have been in the industry for over 20 years, um, we, we sort of know the names that have been consistent with putting out quality content. And, uh, you know, those people have been putting out quality content for, for a very, very long time. And, and when I see someone that has been putting out quality content consistently over the years, those are the people that I'm going to listen to because, um, you know, the shiny things and the trends come and go, but, um, you know, good content, quality science, uh, that stuff stays forever. So, um, you know, people like, yes, Chris Beardsley, um, Carmen Bott, who, uh, is, is a phenomenal coach, uh, based out of Canada. I actually just joined her membership. It's, uh, if you just check her out, uh, it's coach bot on Instagram. Um, she is brilliant, great coach. Um, but what she does is she takes the science and she, she reads it and she puts it in, puts it in a digestible format. So people can really understand what it means. And she'll also give you ways to apply it. So, um, I just joined her membership community and, and I'm just saying it guys, because look, if you want to get information from some of the best out there, coach bot is one of the best. So I highly recommend you, uh, you, you look at what she's doing. Um, you know, from a hypertrophy standpoint, Dr. Mike is and Brad Schoenfield are some of the best out there from a hypertrophy standpoint. Um, and if you're looking at energy system development and you're looking at, um, conditioning protocols, Joel Jameson, um, Dan Baker, uh, those are some great names as well. Um, Lane Norton from a nutritional standpoint, fantastic as well. Jordan Syatt does a really good job with that well because he's he does a great job at, at wading through the BS. So those are individuals that are smart, articulate, they understand the research and they give you applicable ways to dissect it. So um, I wanted to put those names out there simply because those are the people that I always go to and learn from. So phenomenal resources. Um, 
I get nothing for saying this. Uh, those are just really, really good coaches that know what they're doing. And I'll say that, uh, you know, um, when we look at it, uh, coach Boyle is yeah. somebody that's been putting out quality information for a long time. Um, maybe not, uh, diving into the research, uh, quite as much, but, uh, you know, you, you look at his work with, uh, everybody from junior high to the highest level of professional athletics, um, the information that he's put out to the community, the work he does with certified functional strength coach, Kevin Carr, um, and his group, um, fantastic information coming out from, uh, from coach Boyle, um, and, you know, Gray Cook, uh, who I've been, you know, honored to learn from work with, uh, for a long time. And, you know, I have to say, you know, Pavel, um, you know, my background as an athletic trainer, a lot of my sciency information was orthopedic based. I'm pretty good at orthopedic evaluation, rehabilitation. I'm good at looking at an exercise and understanding what impact it's going to have and, and, and coaching that exercise. You get into energy systems and, and some of this other stuff, like, I don't know. Um, yeah, I've, I've learned a few things along the way, but there's, there's people that know a lot more. Um, Pavel is somebody that, um, you know, goes back into the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s research, uh, behind the, the steel, the iron curtain as it was, um, and, and synthesizes current research, uh, in a way that, uh, you know, I just continue to be blown away by. Um, so we're very fortunate and, you know, that gets immediately integrated, not only into his books, and uh, seminars like uh, Plan Strong, Build Strong, Strong Endurance, um, Programming Demystified coming up. Um, so, you know, very fortunate to just have somebody that has a um, a, a really just an incredible um, uh, ability to synthesize and look at research and and ping it against old research that we wouldn't pardon me, that we really wouldn't have much access to because it's all Russian research. Um, so it's it's really interesting to to talk to Pavel about it. And you know, when he was coming up with Quick and the Dead and looking at energy systems and the anti-glycolytic training and one of his upcoming books soon to be released, I can't say anything yet, but uh, you're all going to love it. Um, the ANA and uh, anti-glycolytic style of training, which actually um, way back uh, in Russian times, um, was was being researched and developed uh, by people like Zetsyorsky uh, um, and and uh, Verkashansky and and others um, other Russian names that I can't pronounce. Uh, apologies, I'm just not <laughs> that good at pronouncing pronouncing things. See, there you go. There it is. In well, a there you go, pronouncing. Jones. So, um, <laughs> you, you know what? I actually uh, speaking of Pavel, um, and there was a really really good clip of of Pavel on the Joe Rogan podcast and. Uh, you know, he said something along the lines of uh, a really, really good coach can look at another coach's programs and dissect it and reverse engineer it. And um, it takes a while to get to that point. But uh, that's one of my favorite things to do is, is I'll look at research and I'll go, oh, I see what they're doing there. And I, and I see what they're trying to get at. And I see what the, ad, the adaptations that they're looking for. And guys, this has taken a really, really long time to be able to do this, but it's, it's pretty cool to be able to look at stuff now and go, okay, I see, you know, why they laid it out this way. Um, I see, you know, what they're trying to do and what adaptations that they're looking for. So, um, you know, hopefully you get to the point where you can look at, you know, a program and go, okay, I, I kind of see what they're doing with this. And, and, uh, that's the beauty of having the ability to reverse engineer, um, is, is being able to take someone's program and yes, can you take a program and follow it? Cool. Yeah. 
I don't, when I buy a program, I'm not taking a program to follow it. I'm taking a buying a program or a buying a book so I can look at it and look at the trends and understand what they're trying to accomplish via their programming. So I look at it very, very differently, but um, regardless, uh, look, I mean, people are doing things well. Um, and, and the people that have been doing things well over time, those are the people that you want to buy their stuff and you want to reverse engineer it and, and try to determine why they were making those decisions and not just take it for verbatim and take it because they put it out there, like bounce it off, you know, bounce it off the science. I remember when I first started learning about, uh, Joel Jameson and, and his stuff and, and, uh, on the other podcast that I'm involved in with, uh, with Eric Degatti and the, the principles of performance podcast, we had Joel Jameson on the other day and, uh, you know, his book, uh, Ultimate MMA Conditioning, was one of the first books that really, really did a bunch of bunches, you know, he put out a bunch of data and research on uh, energy system development. And then what I did is I read that book and I go, well, where did he get that from? And then I started going back and looking at block periodization and and all of the Fox texts and and everything else. And, and it was kind of cool to be able to look at a new book and go, wow, that's awesome. And then sort of look back at books that were 20, 30 years old. And, and you can tell that's where a lot of the information came from, but it's also with new information as well. So it's kind of cool to be able to look at it that way. At least that's the way that I look at it. Maybe <laughs> I'm pretty sure not everyone else does, but that's just my weird mind. But um, it's cool when you can look at that stuff and go, oh, I see what they're doing. Principles of a program design, right? Principles of performance podcast is actually the name of the podcast. Is it? Principles of program design is the course. See, I've never been on, so I wouldn't know. Yes, you have. We've had you on there, you butt face. <laughs> yeah, I called you a butt face. You could tell I've been hanging around my kids. They're, I don't know why I went immediately to butt face, but whatever. Well, you you were looking at me, uh, so uh, it, it speaks for itself. Um, Fair enough. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that... Um, you know, as, as you progress on and, and you, you start, you start becoming far more interested in the why, um, why did somebody make that choice? Why is somebody putting it together that way? What are they looking to accomplish? Uh, we had talked previously, you know, when you look at a piece of information or a program, you should be able to understand the metabolic neurological and mechanical, um, goals or impacts of that program. Um, and it, it's, it's amazing. You know, there's, there's a lot of folks out there that, that can't do that. And look, there are fantastic sous chefs who are really good at following a recipe and crank out Michelin star dishes on a nightly basis and they kick butt. And there's a chef standing on the other end of the line that made that recipe. And the sous chef's job is to follow the recipe. Cool. Like that is how you get started. Uh, that is how you you learn how to do this. So I'm not saying you don't ever, you know, I came through my time from being a sous chef and 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 doing, you know, the doing the programs, follow the programs. Um, I, I Every young strength coach that comes to me and says, how do I get started? I'm like, well, A, yes, I recommend getting certified with Strong First and learning more about kettlebells. Uh, B, I recommend FMS. And C, I recommend Coach Boyle's um, information. You know, he just put out a second edition of designing uh, facilities and strength conditioning programs. And that's not the title because I, I can't remember anything, but uh, you can, you'll find it if you search for it. Um, and, you know, certified functional strength coach, like those are, those are easy recommendations for me because I know they're going to get quality information and programs that they can plug in and play. 
Um, so since we're kind of in, we're a little amorphous uh, with this uh, talk right now, let's, I want to just kind of run through a, a, a series of studies and pieces of information um, and, and it'll give a, maybe, maybe a little bit of a window into at least how my adult brain uh, looks at a topic and, and information across time. Um, when we were doing work with the, the folks at Push, uh, which was bought Chris Chapman and uh, purchased by Whoop, um, I started, you know, you can you could go to their website and you could download Dan Baker, a lot of information from Dan Baker, and you could look at some of the velocity-based uh, research. And when you look at that, and Antonio Squilante just had a, um, a post today on social media talking about this kind of topic where you know, with a strength, more of a strength-based barbell exercise, you're looking uh, at do not uh, not allowing more than a 20% drop in velocity within a set. Uh, with power-based exercises, clean snatches, things like that, you're looking to for 10% or less of a velocity drop. Um, and if you stick to those metrics, your recovery is better. Your you know, velocity at the bars is more, more consistent. Just everything that you want to get out of training is better if you follow those those kind of metrics. And they did research where they were looking at like um, 80% work uh, for sets of eight versus sets of four um, and looking at velocity drop. And, you know, what's RPE has been used for a long time. We've talked about that previously. Um, repetitions in reserve. Uh, I think you do a really nice job of combining in repetitions in the reserve plus RPE and looking at how those metrics uh, bounce off of one another. Um, there's more research that's being done on repetitions in reserve and RPE. And um, a friend of mine did a chat GPT um, prompt looking at, uh, you know, I, I guess repetitions in reserve research uh, on chat GPT came up with a actually a pretty well done <laughs> little, little synopsis um, looking at a, a strength conditioning journal research from uh, 2020. Um, and it says the same thing. It basically says, you know, if you, what they did was they were looking at repetitions at 80%, three different training variables. Um, and I'm going to have trouble because I only read it once or twice. Uh, so I'm going to have trouble pulling all of the details, but uh one of them was sets of eight. One of them was um, doing, uh, leaving three reps in reserve with one. And I think maybe both of those had a set to failure at the end and then all five sets to failure. Um, so when you looked at the results, the three reps in reserve uh, had more consistent bar velocity across all of their sets. Um and, and maybe a little bit, but I think they would have seen better recovery had they not been doing a final set to failure. And that's where I look at the, I look at the results and, and program design, what they, what they tested. And I'm kind of like, eh, I, I mean, I, I would have left one of those out. <laughs> so, so I could have looked more purely at what the repetitions and reserve did. Um, but again, it just kind of backs up this idea that uh, when you look at bar speed and you look at wanting consistency, a high bar speed and, and consistency across the reps and across the sets, that, that three repetition and reserve uh, sort of thing worked. And there was a study that came out, and I have to look at the date, we can put it in the show notes. Um, they were comparing, and this was a pretty good, pretty well done study as far as I can tell. Um, they were looking at two different training uh, 
programs, but a lot of the variables were equated. So it was three sets of eight at 75% one RM with five minutes rest between sets um, for one group. And then for the other group, it was six sets of four with two minutes rest between sets, 75% one RM. So really the reps per set and the, the rest variable were the manipulated um, variables. The total volume was the same. The intensity was the same. Um, and what came out of it was the six sets of four with two minutes rest at 75%, uh, better recovery, uh, better bar speed, like every, all the metrics that you're looking to have, you know, a positive response on were consistent. So in my mind, when I look back and I look at velocity-based research and, and everything I talked about initially, you look at some of the current repetition and reserve uh, slash RPE research that's out there. And you look at this kind of six sets of four at 75% at two minutes rest uh, sort of protocol being superior to three sets of eight. We can draw a thread through that. And, you know, Pavel and Planstrong, uh, one of the principles they use in there is you're performing a third to two thirds of the repetitions possible at a certain weight. Um, so if you can do um, six reps, you're doing either sets of two or sets of four. You're not pushing to sets of six. Um, and I would probably ballpark that right around three reps. If I had a six RM, I'd be doing, I'd be bouncing between two, three, and four reps in in um, in some sort of um, variable format. So that's just kind of an example of what's over the last few years of kind of following this trend of velocity-based research and what it tells us, plus repetitions in reserve. And the other thing that comes out of the repetition in reserve, which I talked about, was our speed stays high. So if you create protocols and programs that honor the principles, you should see good bar speed. You shouldn't be tiptoeing into this area where you're um, where you're losing bar speed and and you're kind of violating some of these uh, some of these principles. That's been a strong first stop sign for a long time. Looking for a change in tempo um, and, and you know loss of speed. And, you know, from a coach's eye standpoint, you can see it happen. Um, and if it reaches a point where you can see it happen, then I would argue that, you know, you've hit that 20% metric or 10% metric uh, within those. So that's a very long winded description of uh, what's happened over this period of time and how I've become more and more convinced that do we need to find out what your repetition maxes are? Yes. Uh, Pot. Pavel and Fabio will be talking about a double R repetition max test that gives much better results. Because when you see reload, you see that Fabio wants you to test your 80% repetition max. And depending on where you end up in the, that, those results, because some people are going to test, don't, you know, these charts that, that are out there at 80% one RM, you should get X reps. Maybe. Different people are going to get different results. Some people are going to be very low rep at 80%. Some of them are going to hit the mid range and some of them are going to be hitting like 10, 12 reps, which you really shouldn't be doing <laughs> at 80%, but some people do. And so, you know, when you start taking things like that into consideration, yeah, we need to know what your RMs are uh, because now I'm going to do a third to two thirds of those. I'm not going to be pushing you towards your repetition maxes. Um, so, like I said, anyway, 
long, long-winded way to say over the last few years, that's one of the things that I've been following and I see the pieces falling into place, that this is a consistent and repeatable uh, thing coming out of the research. Absolutely. So I, I think when we look at science and data, we tend to see ranges. And, um, you know, I, I think the word range is, is something that we need to use a little bit more in the world of strength and conditioning, because like, for example, when people think about neutral spine, neutral spine is not a destination. It's a range. Everyone's going to be a little bit different. Right. So, um, that's another thing we need to think about is, uh, you look at like a prolipins chart and you know, all the data on sets reps, you'll notice it's not like it's this and this it's a range. And how do you figure out that range by doing it and by coaching and by refining it and by paying attention and by tracking. So, you know, I wish we could tell you that it's going to be this, it's going to be this, it's going to be this, but look, the hardest part about training is people. People aren't, you know, we don't come with owner's manuals, right? We, we don't come with um, black and white instructions on how to do this and that. It's the gray area that makes coaching and that makes everything else sort of the hard part, right? That's the toughest part about training is the individual and all the other stressors that are part of life. So when you look at, again, these sets and rep schemes, it's a range on purpose because you're, you're not, it's not math, it's human beings. And when you're dealing with human beings, you're dealing with so many different variables. And unless you are, um, you know, a Soviet athlete that, <laughs> uh, was competing decades ago in which they controlled every aspect of your life. Look, things happen and, and, and the gray areas where most of us live. So you're going to use the science and the data to point you in the right direction. And then you're going to do the work. You're going to pay attention, hopefully, and you're going to determine, wow, how do you or how do your clients respond? Some people do better with higher volume, like Brett said, or lower volume. You just have to figure it out. And unless you do the work and get in there and, and, and get your hands dirty, you're not going to you're not going to optimize things. And um, that's why you'll see good coaches work with athletes that have a very, very long career for a very, very long time because they know the nuances. They know those little things that make them feel better. They know what sets and reps work for them. They know what modalities, they know what exercises, they know what implements. That is what you get from spending a lot of time with other individuals and, and, and just figuring out the nuance, but you're not going to start off with the nuance. And if you try to start off with the nuance, you're going to get lost, start off with the basics, start off with a range. And then as you get acclimated to the individual that you're working with or acclimated to yourself, you're going to start to find trends in the nuances that will allow you to really dial things in. But it's never going to happen unless you do the work first. 100%. And I, I think that that, you know, leads us into the, or at least I'm going to make it lead us into the uh, evidence-based versus evidence-informed sort of piece of the the puzzle. Um, you know, the, the trend there for a little while was you had to be evidence-based, evidence-based, evidence-based. Um, and then there was kind of a little, a little kickback. Um, and, and, you know, I'll, I may have talked about this uh, before, but, uh, you know, there was a, a younger PT that had been very influenced by the evidence-based people and the biopsychosocial approach. And he had a person coming in that had a knee replacement, uh, I think. And um, this is all theoretical, of course, because we wouldn't violate it and uh, repeat any information that wasn't accurate. Um, 
but this this person had you know a, a patient coming in that had had a knee replacement and was having some leg pain so got the old explain pain book and was getting ready to go out there and talking through the uh the biopsychosocial of his leg pain and then it hit him that uh, oh wait this uh this is a senior citizen's had a knee replacement having some leg pain maybe i should look for a blood clot and uh Sure enough, they were sending them up to the ER to get that uh, blood clot taken care of uh, because that that's what it was. Uh, evidence informed says both can be true. Uh, evidence based says, you know, we, we just need to look at this biopsychosocial approach. And those are broad strokes and I'm being mean because it's an easy target. Uh, but the uh, I, I think that had this person, you know, really stuck to this idea of being evidence-based and, and following the biopsychosocial approach would have missed this and could have missed this uh, blood clot. So that to me forms a kind of a, a framework for this evidence-informed versus evidence-based. He may have gone out there or this person may have gone out there and looked at this patient and said, nope, no redness, no, no point of tenderness, no, you know, not showing any signs of, of blood clot. Now I can talk you through this idea that pain is an output, not an input, and um, and and have this discussion of you know what's going on right now. Um, so I, I think that uh, we we want to we always want to be looking at the at the research. We do, um, but we're not a leaf in the breeze. And I think that that's one of the things that uh, you know what you'll see with research over time is it blows from side to side and back and forth. It can be all over the place. One study shows this, one study shows that, this other study showed this. And when you look at what ends up on social media or you look at what ends up in the newspaper, you can easily end up confused because sometimes what ends up in the conclusion isn't really what the study showed at all. Like you actually need to go read the research. And this is where I think people like Chris Beardsley and the other folks you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast do a good job of looking at the research and saying, okay, the the study showed this, even though maybe the conclusion said this. Um, so I, I I think you you want to you want to be patient if you're reacting to every study that comes out because you're trying to be evidence based. I think you're making a mistake. I think you need to like I've done with repetitions in reserve and and velocity based training. I have let that develop over the last few years to where now I see enough consistent points of data and consistent pieces of information where I'm comfortable uh, following that. Yeah. And I think one of the things that people like to do is the second a new piece of data or research comes out, it's like immediately it's the gospel. And, you know, the first thing I would really recommend is, is understand how to actually read research and data, because I'm going to be honest with you. I, I don't truly understand it. And uh, it's not that I, I cannot understand it. It's just, that's not what I do. Like, I mean, reading research and doing research and understanding how to do studies accurately is it's a skill and it's a, it's a skill set. And it's something that people work very, very hard on. And, um, but also you have to realize that some people, like Brett said, will basically skew the data or cherry pick the data to, prove their point or maybe to make sales on something. So um, people like Antonio Scalante and, and, and other great researchers that that's what they do. Like they actually are in labs and, and, and they, when they talk about research, it's, it's with integrity and with 
the idea that, hey, look, we're just putting information out there and it's hopefully unbiased, right? It's not because they're trying to sell something or, and look, there's nothing wrong with selling things either. I'm just saying, but um, when people are mis, uh, mis, um, misrepresenting data and, and all these studies to, to, to try to, you know, make personal gain to me, uh, I, I think that's a bunch of BS, but if you're taking science and you're, you're, you're putting a product out there that is based off of science and research, then cool. That's to me, that's, that's the ethical way of doing things. But if you're just, you know, mismanaging data to make sales and to make extra money, I'm sorry, I can't support that. So, um, it's just, it's, it, that's the hard part because people read something and they think it's the gospel. And then, like you said, then they realize, wow, that actually didn't say that at all. And, and that's what I love about like uh, Lane Norton, bio lane on Instagram is he just, he, he bas basically calls people on their BS and it's like, oh, you know, this, this piece of research or this individual that put data out there. Yeah. Well, guess what the whole study said? And then he goes back and he's like, yeah, they're cherry picking. So, you know, if you're gonna, if you're gonna talk about research and data, don't cherry pick. Just do it based off of what the science says and, and, and include the whole article, right? Not just the piece that, it, that supports what you're trying to do or say or sell. Um, but it's, it can get really, really confusing. So my recommendation is if, you, if there's a new study that seems like, wow, this is groundbreaking or this is exciting, just wait, observe, wait, read, observe, wait, read, apply, because if we start to see trends over and over again that supports that original single piece of research and then it keeps on replicating and it keeps on saying, well, yes, this is accurate, then cool. Once there's a bunch of studies that say similar things, then you can say, you know what, this is probably a pretty solid trend and we should really look into this. But just because there's one new piece of data that comes out, it's not the gospel. Let's let's wait for a few more things. So I'm not saying that you shouldn't read research or data. I'm just saying like when a piece comes out, it doesn't mean it's the gospel. It's just information. Yeah. And, and like follow that over time and, and do wait for those meta-analysis. You know, those are your highest level pieces of research that uh, take many other pieces of research and try to put them together. And, and what is the consistent theme with it that comes out of that? And what can we actually draw from the data? Social media. Uh, we purposefully less left this for the shortest part of the podcast um choose wisely and don't fall into the the arguments and when that single piece of data comes out and somebody tries to use that against some somebody some group something oh, take a breath because like you said the next next couple months there'll be a piece of data coming out that says something opposite um so there are good pieces. There are people putting good information out there. Um, and they're usually not the ones without their shirt on and uh, turning their rear ends to the camera. Um, they're usually the people that are um, posting, you know, synopsis of research and their interpretation of the research and, and uh, infographics that can be really useful um, to, to at least get you started. Um looking at a topic and um, you know go to something that's considered a, a seminal piece of research on a particular topic and then go to the references for that piece of research and start looking at where you know some of those things came from um, don't get drawn into the arguments 
Um, you know, I use a little bit of Twitter right now, but I do it to repost and uh, maybe to to maybe to post something um, periodically. But usually, I'm I'm looking. What does Chris put out today? What does Coach Bot put out today? You know, those those sort of things. Um, Facebook used to be someplace where you could go and actually see a lot of different pieces of research getting talked about. That's less and less the case. Um, Instagram, you don't see too much of it because Instagram is typically where you go to promote yourself. And that, you know, that going back to my comments, you know, at the beginning, Instagram is to promote, Facebook is to sell, Twitter is to argue. Um, but you can choose to use those tools in different ways. And, um, and I would say, don't spend your time on social media. <laughs> you need to be on the floor working with people. My first thought when I see somebody posting several times a day uh, and, and arguing consistently on Twitter which or Facebook, which I've done, I will not stand, sit here and say I haven't. But when you're at 9 or 10 o'clock at night and you're still arguing with somebody on Facebook, put the computer down. <laughs> Put yeah. the phone down and go find something more productive to do, like sleep. Um, <laughs> so, you know, don't you don't have to fall into those rabbit holes. And there are effective ways to use uh, social media. And as a young strength coach, um, you know, look at look at what somebody's doing over time. Um, and, you know, you'll, you'll get pulled in by a flashy post or a controversial post. Look at what they do over time. Yeah. And I see people that post a lot. And uh, usually what they're doing is something negative. They're they're talking, they're talking down about something. And that's usually like I want it. That's easy. Yeah. Like I, I want somebody that's going to put positive information out there. Yeah. That even if a piece of research comes out that says, you know, something controversial, what does that mean practically? And it doesn't mean that that group is wrong. It doesn't mean the other group's right. It just means there's a piece of information. And so, you know, be be a little more selective, be a little slower to respond. Uh, if you're ever getting ready to post something out of anger, stop. Do not post that till the next <laughs> day. Uh, and, and you might save yourself uh, some trouble. You know, I was asked uh, by a group that I was talking to one time, what do you do with it? What do you do about that? The haters. And I'm like, well, let me ask you another question, uh, not to answer a question with the question, but here I go. <laughs> uh, why, why are you getting haters? Yeah. Like, how are you acting on social media that's getting people firing back at you in that way? Yeah. You know, the, the person stands up there and says, you know, I'm right. Everybody else is wrong. I definitely know they're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just not, that's just not the way life works or you're doing it in such a way that you could be right. And I have no interest in listening to you because you can't do it in a respectful uh, and an appropriate manner. So that's it. So one of the things that, one of the things that I always like to sort of think about when it comes to social media is um, if you were to just read what someone had written and didn't post a picture or video, what does the content look like? What is the depth of the content that someone's putting out there? You know, if it's really, really good quality-based content that's based off of, you know, science, empirical evidence, whatever, then, you know, cool, awesome. But, you know, does it, you know, but is it paired with 
you know, a booty pick or an ab pick or, you know, people just trying to look sexy. Hey, good. Hey, for those individuals that are going out there, making a bunch of money and walking around in a bikini. Cool for them. I can't get away with that. You know, I'm just a, so you've you know, been on my, you've been on my uh, page then this, we're going to start Brett and I are going to start a, 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 an only fans and it's just going to be us and some kettlebells. It's going to get weird. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, but, but seriously though, like, you know, people aren't coming to my page looking for abs and a butt. They're coming to pay. They're coming to my page. to probably look for information on training. So like, you know, maybe if I uh, had a full head of hair and some abs, I'd probably get some more followers, but that's not going to happen anytime soon. But um, look at the end of the day, um, common sense goes a long way as well. And that's one of the few things. So I'm going to end us with uh, three quotes on common sense and then uh, we'll end the podcast from there. One common sense is not a gift. It's a punishment because you have to deal with everybody who doesn't have it. So there's number one, number two, common sense is like deodorant. The people who need it the most never use it. And then lastly, common sense is a flower that doesn't grow in everyone's garden. Those are good, right? I, I think those are pretty good quotes on common That's, sense. So I'm going to leave you. I'm going to leave you with those. Brett, anything else you, uh, you want to cover before we, we call it a podcast for the day, or you want me to close this out like normal? Close this out, brother. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. Uh, we appreciate it. Uh, we're going to be taking a week off next week. Um, I'm going to try this thing out. What is it called? It's a vacation. The, um, we'll the, see. The, we'll uh, see. We'll see how that works. Um, so we're going to have a week off, but uh, hopefully that will get me reinvigorated so I can actually get some rest. But um, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we truly do appreciate you guys uh, just listening and supporting the podcast. Um, if you enjoyed this, uh, this episode, do us a huge favor, share it with your friends, colleagues, you name it, and, uh, give us a positive review on whatever platform you're listening to. And we'll see you on the next episode. Hey friends, thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, we're going to ask you for a favor. Please leave us some positive reviews. Be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, family, and colleagues. Thanks again for listening to the minimum effective dose podcast.